Savior's robe as he walks into the room where people pray, where we hear praises, he hears faith. There is a sound I love to hear. It's the sound of the Savior's robe as he walks into the room where people pray where we hear worship he hears faith awake my soul and sing sing his praise aloud sing his praise John chapter 15, Jesus says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 that did not wander. And in the same way, is it not my heavenly Father's will? that even one of these little ones should perish. So let's sing about his reckless love. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. 
took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Till you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God Still your love fought for me And you have been so, so good to me When I felt no worth You paid it all for me You have been so, so
first verse one time through where we sing out the king of my heart is the mountain where I run let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run the fountain I drink from oh he is my son 
Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide. Ransom for my life, oh, He is my Son. Lord, let that song be the anthem of our hearts. Lord, that in the good times and in the struggles, Lord, relentlessly help us to choose you in every moment. God, that we would continue to turn to you in everything. Lord, as we continue in our service this morning, help us to stay in this attitude, in this posture of a worship. Lord, where our hearts are ready to receive from you. God, that as Pastor Dave comes up to speak, Lord, that first and foremost, it would be your truth and your guidance that we hear. that it would challenge us, that it would grow us, push us to take one step closer to you. Father, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, New Life family, Pastor Jeremy here. So great to be back with you here during our online services. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you are watching or listening from, from around the country. This is Passover weekend, and next weekend is Easter. And so I'm super giddy, super excited about that, because if you are uh, part of our New Life Patterson campus family, then we are going to be having our services in the parking lot of our new building. That's 515. Keystone Boulevard, 515 Keystone Boulevard there in Patterson. Uh, just pull up and you'll see the signs, pull around to the back and you'll be guided uh, with where to go to from there. But hopefully the weather's going to be great. If it's raining or whatever, then it's going to be uh, taken over here to the north building of the Turlock campus where we've been gathering for a few months now if you're in, if you're in lane three. Uh, but just to let you know, on Sunday, April 4th, Easter Sunday, we're going to be in the parking lot of our new facility having service. If it's inclement weather, we'll be here in the north building of the Turlock campus. But we just want to say uh, happy weekend to you. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, let's go ahead and take out our phones. Uh, pull up the sermon notes there. If you don't know how to get there, go to, go to the app. Go to the right-hand corner, uh, bottom right-hand corner. Click on Connect. Then click on Weekend Resources. Then click on Sermon Notes. And then Today's Date um, as we continue on this series, in this series called Love Wins. Also, uh, just some of the uh, normal housekeeping items. If you have any, if you have any prayer needs, uh, text the word prayers to 30500. If you're not part of a Connect 3 group, we want to encourage you to do that. You can uh, type the word connect and then the number 3 to 30500. Also, uh, keep up with everything that we have online. Our weekend, or not just our weekend resources, but our resources that we have available to you, whether it's for kids or students or life groups, is all online, newlifecc.com. Uh, then the finally, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for your faithfulness and your generosity. We uh, want you to continue to be faithful with the resources in which God has entrusted you, uh, whether you mail uh, your financial gift in or you just give through the app or online. I uh, would just encourage you and challenge you to keep, uh, keep doing that, uh, keep surrendering and trusting God what really already belongs to him. And so we want to say thank you because we couldn't do what we do without you. Now, beginning this weekend, March the 28th, all the way through April, April the 4th through Easter, we are going to have our journey with Jesus. Now, what is journey with Jesus? If you come to our quad at the, at the, uh, at the Turlock campus, the quad is the grassy area in between all of our buildings. You will see uh, moments of Jesus' life, the last 24 hours of his life set up in the quad. And we just want to invite you uh, to come spend some of those moments uh, in 
in remembering what happened in Jesus' life the last 24 hours from his trial all the way up to the resurrection. And so we're calling it we're calling it Journey with Jesus. We wanted to do it last year, but because of COVID, uh, we ended up not doing it, but we are doing it this year. So it's in the quad March 28th, this weekend through April 4th, during daylight hours only. So come anytime you want during daylight hours and take the journey with Jesus. I think it's a great opportunity for us to prepare our hearts uh, for what God wants to do in us and through us during the Easter season, okay? Uh, also, uh, uh, just wanted to encourage you uh, and just remind you that if you do attend our, our Patterson campus, that when we do have the Easter service, that's the only time that we're going to be meeting there because we still have a lot of construction that we're doing. Uh, we still have another couple of months worth of stuff to do there. So uh, we are moving right along. There's more things happening. Um, uh, so we'll keep bringing you pictures about, about what's happening at the campus. But we will be meeting there for Easter and then and we will, we will be coming back here on Sundays after Easter. So we'll be there for Easter service only, 10 a.m., 515 Keystone Boulevard in Patterson. Can't wait to see you there. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, whether it's uh, on your phone or whether um, it's uh, you have your physical Bible or, or an iPad or whatever, uh, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John, chapter 13, as we continue to... Uh, talk about how in all these different moments of the life of Jesus, um, love wins. And it's been exciting uh, to bring us up to where we are now with these different moments and talking about um, how love wins through our temptations and our struggles and, and uh, through, um, uh, through the man that had leprosy back a couple of weeks ago and how love wins, uh, how love ended up winning through that. But you're going to see the title change once we get to Easter. So all the way up until now, love wins, love wins, love wins, and then Easter, love won. Okay, love one. And I can't wait to celebrate Easter with you this week or um, uh, this year, 2021. What a year, right? We all need the Easter uh, Easter uh, season to get to celebrate together. So like we said, we've been in this series called Love Wins, looking at how every time during the life of Jesus, uh, during every turn, during every circumstance, uh, when most of us would have responded with moments that Jesus encountered, either through fear or pride or anger or frustration, Jesus showed us how love wins. Now, like we said, next weekend is Easter, and we're going to look at the ultimate gift and the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made and how three days later, love won. So this week, we're actually going to set the stage for that. We're going to build up to this week where Jesus was arrested, crucified, and rose from the grave. So here's a little movie flashback for you. Okay, A few years ago, the Lord of the Rings series came out. I don't know if you're into the books, if you're into the movies, but it was basically geek heaven for anyone who'd been reading the books and, uh, and are now watching these books come to a reality on the big screen. Well, at the very end of the last movie, The Return of the King, is the coronation of the king. It's on top of Gondor, and, and there's this huge crowd of, of finely dressed, elegantly dressed people before uh, uh, the, the, in the crowd because it is the coronation of a king. But there's this moment when they all turn and bow down. And it's, it's not until they all bow that you can see who they are bowing to, who they are honoring. The ones that are left standing which everyone is bowing to, are four half-sized, plainly-dressed hobbits looking self-conscious and extremely awkward, if you remember that scene. These small little ones who accomplished something great. So today I want to contrast that to what we read about Jesus as he journeys to the cross. He's been beaten. He's been whipped. If you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, you caught a visual uh, kind of a glimpse of what, my, what that day, what that scene might have looked like. But it's more than just something that's physical. Imagine the emotional pain of hearing the crowd call for your execution, call for your crucifixion. So think of this major difference in the fictional story of the Lord of the Rings and the actual account of Jesus. Because the major theme in the Lord of the Rings is that the small ones, the hobbits, rising to do something great, the lowliest rising to the heights, 
and accomplishing a triumph which the greatest and the strongest in the story uh, were unable to achieve. But Jesus is just the opposite. Not the lowest climbing to the heights of glory, but the highest, God himself descending to the depths of humiliation to do for the least what couldn't be done by ourselves. Jesus is the conquering hero in this story, but he conquers in a way that no one would have ever expected, in a way that none of us ever could, and in a way that we needed him the most. He's the only one who loves us enough and is strong enough that that came down where we are and to set us free, and he did it out of love. Because like we've been saying for the last several weeks, love wins. There's this account in John chapter 13 where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples and uh, while he's together with them in the upper room. Let's read about it in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. We're going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. (laughs) Imagine hearing those words come out of the mouth of Jesus to you. (laughs) Because then Jesus said, not just my feet, Lord, but all of me. This one scene is a microcosm of the entire story of Jesus. And wrapped up in this one scene. This one scene describes who he is, what he did, and why he did it. This one scene is all about how love wins. So write this down for number one. Your first feeling for the weekend. Love wins because God came to us. Love wins because God came to us. In the very first chapter of this gospel of the book of John, we read that Jesus has the power over every created thing. John wrote that not only was Jesus in authority of all things, but he was also the creator of all things. It was by Jesus that this world was even made. And then the third verse of chapter 13, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus came from the Father and he was one day going to return to the Father. John had already made it clear that Jesus was already in it. He, he had already existed as equal to his Father as God, living in perfect harmony for all eternity. In other words, Jesus, this person who was rejected, this person who was flogged and beaten and ridiculed and even crucified, was none other than God come down to earth in a human form. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. A few years ago, I was watching this magician. I don't know where he was at at the time. He was like down in uh, uh, Costa Rica or the Dominican, somewhere down in there. And he was doing street magic for all the kids. All the kids were just amazed at everything that he was doing. And even I, I, I got caught up and I was like, this guy's really good. And finally, at one point, he goes into a, a house of one of the residents there. And he walked in and he walks up to the window. And in the windowsill was uh, two or three of these dead flies. And he picked up one of these dead flies. He walks outside with it in front of all these kids. And he lays it on a table and he begins to put his hand over it. And then he moves his hand and he breathes on it. Then he puts his hand over it again. He breathes on it again. That fly began to move. It jumped a couple of times up on his feet and then flew away. I'm like, 
Are you kidding me? These little kids were amazed. I'm standing up on, uh, in my living room going, are you kidding me? This guy just brought this fly back to life. And I called Janet. I had to rewind. I'm like, look at this guy. This guy breathes on this fly and it comes back to life. Now, what I didn't know uh, was that the whole thing was a setup. So this guy catches flies and he puts them alive and he puts them in the freezer and he freezes them. And then he gets them out of the freezer and he goes to people's houses. He pays them money, puts them in the window seal so they look like they're dead. He goes in there soon after while they're still frozen and takes them out and breathes on them. And his warm air brings them back to life because they thaw out and then they kind of flip around a little bit and they take off flying. But it just amazed me that I was so gullible to fall for this that he was actually bringing a fly back to life. Instead of trying to figure out the rational way that this guy's doing this, the, the, performing this trick, I was too caught up in my own disbelief. Let me say that again. I was too caught up in my own disbelief. In a similar way, we struggle to understand how Jesus could be the Son of God, how he could actually be God because we're so used to our ordinary way of thinking that we fail to see that things could be different when it comes to God. We didn't see it happen, so it didn't happen. That's what we tell ourselves. And the older we get, the more set we get in our own way of thinking, so we, we're able to talk ourselves out of believing and think, hey, that's just, it just takes too much faith to believe that the creator of the universe would come down to earth in the form of a human and pay the ultimate price for me, for humans. God knew that we couldn't handle the full power of his glory, but he still wanted to come and be with us. He still wanted to come and dwell with us and make a way to restore that broken relationship between us. So he extended himself to earth in the package that we could understand another human being. So that when we do see Jesus, we truly see God in Jesus and through Jesus. And we can understand what God is like. Because now we see God in human form. Love wins. Love is victorious because God came down to us. That's a deeper love that I can fully comprehend. Because now I can see it. Now I can feel Jesus. I can touch Jesus. I can hear Jesus. And when I do that, I can see and touch and hear God. Write this down for number two. Love wins and I can accept it or reject it. Love wins and I can either accept it or reject it. You and I have a decision to make. It's a very important decision. Is God, is Jesus God or not? Is Jesus God or isn't he? You see, Jesus never claimed to be a good man. He didn't. He never, he never claimed to be a good moral leader or a great teacher. Instead, he said this about himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now that changes the agenda just a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> because if I were to say, um, my name is Jeremy, I'm a good teacher. Some of you would say, um, Jeremy, just say that you're a teacher. All right, we'll define whether or not you're good or not. <laughs> But if I were to say, uh, hey, I'm a man with an ethical, I'm a pretty ethical person. I teach good moral principles. I try my best. You might agree with that. But if I stood up here and said, oh, by the way, I'm God. And the only way you can get to heaven is through me. Now, you'd feel a little bit different about that statement, wouldn't you? In fact, you'd probably be uh, questioning your future here at New Life. <laughs> If you ever meet anybody who claims to be God, you have three options. Just three options. One, you can believe they're delusional, that they have no idea what they're talking about, and you might think, I need to steer clear of this person. Maybe I need to call some professionals to come in and have an intervention with this person for him to claim that he's God. That's option number one. Option number two is you could say, I think they're just a liar. I think they're trying to get me to believe that they are someone that they're not because they want something from me. They want my money. They want my possessions. They want my, my loyalty. They're wanting something from me. And there are people out there who will tell you anything to get something from you. We all know that that's true. The third option is this. You believe that you're telling the truth. And then that changes everything. If someone really is God, then that requires my worship. It requires my obedience and for me to follow that person. 
C.S. Lewis, the famous uh, author and theologian who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he said this uh, about uh, those three options. You probably heard this before, that when it comes to Jesus, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. One of the three. Everybody listening to me right now, everybody watching me right now has made some sort of decision when it comes to Jesus Christ. You are watching or you are listening because of one of those three reasons. You either believe he's a liar, you believe he's a lunatic, or you believe that he is Lord. It can't just be, hey, I believe he was a good teacher because Jesus actually didn't give us that option as one of the ones to believe in him. Because a good teacher would not say, I'm God and I'm the only way to, ha- to heaven. A good teacher wouldn't say something like that. A good, honest person would not say that unless it was the truth. And if it's not true, then we just need to pack up and go home right now. I picked the wrong occupation. You have to decide. Is Jesus delusional? Is he an intentional deceiver? Or is he God? Is he really who he claimed to be, which is God? People ask me all the time, Jeremy, do you honestly believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And the best way that I can respond to that is with every fiber of my being, I do believe that. I bet my salvation on it. As a matter of fact, I've given my whole life on that fact. I left my job. I left, uh, I, I left um, um, the, the job in my home and my family back in Tennessee because I bet my life on it that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The answer has already been given. Jesus is God, and he said that the only way that you can get to the Father is through him. It's not a religion. You don't get there through religion. You don't get there through philosophy. You get there because of a person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's why he allowed himself to be put on trial so there wouldn't be any doubt of who he was. He could have stopped that trial at any moment, but he allowed it to happen. He even knew that he would be proven guilty because he was the son of God and put on the cross, but it was all part of the plan. It had to happen. It cost Jesus his life to pay for my sins. It cost Jesus his life to pay for your sins this weekend. But he was willing to do it. Why? Say it with me. Because love wins. Write this down for number three. Love wins as Jesus loves me right where I am. Love wins as Jesus loves me right where I am. In John 13, 3, it says, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So what did he do next? Since he knows this, what do you think Jesus did in this moment? Knowing that he's the glory of the universe, the almighty the everlasting splendor, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer and ruler of all. Knowing this about himself, what does he do? Does he command them to bow? Does he blind them with his glory or instruct them uh, uh, in all the secrets of the universe? Does Does his voice roar like thunder and his eyes burn with fire and his body just dazzle with light? Does he shake the entire world with an earthquake? Nope. None of that. Verses 4 and 5. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had around him. Why? Why would Jesus do this? He's God. Why is he washing feet? Why would God bend down to save us? Before I answer that, have you ever wondered who's really responsible for the death of Jesus? Was it the Jews? Was it the Pharisees, all the religious leaders of the time? Was it actually the Romans? The truth is, I'm responsible for the death of Jesus. You're responsible for the death of Jesus. Each one of us is responsible for his death because our sin, my sin, your sin, sent him to the cross. You and I drove those nails. If you've ever seen the movie, like I mentioned earlier, The Passion of the Christ, 
directed by Mel Gibson. It's a powerful and deeply disturbing visual of what Christ went through. Like I said, directed by Mel Gibson. And I saw an interview where they um, were talking to him, and he actually appeared in the movie, not as an actor. Never show his face. They only show his, his, uh, his hands. The scene that goes up with the hammer is actually the hands of Mel Gibson. And he did it because he said he wanted to illustrate that it was his hands that drove the nails through the hands of Jesus. And his hands represent you and I. He said he wanted his hands to represent all of humanity, to show that all of us were the ones that drove those nails into the hands of Jesus. Not just the Jews, not the Romans, not the Pharisees, but all of us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this, He is the sacrifice for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of all of the world. In one sense, it's true that all of our sins, not just the sins of one group of people, set the stage for the crucifixion. All of our sins did. But in another sense, this idea that we drove Jesus to the cross misses the bigger picture. No one drove him to the cross. No power outside of himself made him go there. Jesus voluntarily journeyed to the cross, suffering all that for one reason and for one reason only, because he loves us. He went through all of that because of love. If anything drove him to the cross... It was his love for humanity. That's why God would bend down to save us and set us free, because love wins. Jesus is the creator of the world, but not just the creator of the world. He's also the creator and designer of each person in this world. Psalm 139 says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. This was King David saying this to the Lord. The Bible tells us that God knew us before we were even born, shaping each one of us personally, which means that he was your personal designer for every, every one of you watching me, Jesus, God, the, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity designed you intentionally and on purpose the way that you are. He encountered in his journey all of these different personalities, all of these different people, all the way from his arrest through his resurrection, he encountered different individual. And Jesus created every single one of them from trial to his death. I believe when Jesus looked into the eyes of the high priest who was condemning him, I believe his heart was broken because he fashioned those eyes of the high priest to be soft with love, not to be hard with indifference. I believe that when Jesus spoke with Pilate, he was trying to save him from slipping into the despair of cynicism to help him find truth. I believe that when the whips were ripping uh, into his flesh by the Roman soldiers, that I think his greatest sorrow was that those strong arms, those strong hands were made by him and they weren't being used to protect, they were being used to destroy. As the executioners callously discussed the most efficient crucifixion to kill probably the only innocent man they had ever encountered, that same man, Jesus, was crying out for their forgiveness. When the hopeless man on the cross beside him suddenly turned in faith and called out to Jesus. Without hesitation, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And now Jesus speaks those words of grace to you. Those same words of grace he's speaking to you this weekend. Because in the end, love wins. He was on that cross because he loves you. Before the world was made, Jesus had you in mind. He fashioned you with his own creating hand and saw his beautiful design of you that had been ruined by sin. So he went down to the pit to bring you and I out. He hung on that cross so you and I don't have to. So that we could be with him in heaven. 
and when he took his final breath, and when he walked out of that grave three days later, the victory of love was accomplished. He went to hell so that you and I wouldn't have to. He paid the price of our sin because you and I couldn't afford it. And at last, those he loved were free to return to him forever. Because love wins. And you hear a message like this and it poses the question again. If God loves us that much, that much, Jeremy, then why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I don't get it. I hear story after story, week after week, of horrible things that happen to good people, and it doesn't make sense to me either. Here's what I know. It's because we live in a very sin-broken world. Is it fair? Nope. But it's all because of sin. If we want to be angry with someone... It's hard to say don't be angry with God. We should be angry at sin. It's because Satan wants to steal and kill and destroy everything in our lives. Because God gave us the ability to choose life and to choose him. Will bad things still happen even if we surrender our lives to Jesus? Yes. Because Jesus himself said in this life you will have trouble. You will have sorrow. Sin and sickness and evil may still be in this world. Listen, but not in the world to come. God doesn't always pull us out of the situation. But he does hold on to us all the way through them. God's with you this weekend. He loves you. He died for you. And he wants you to return to him. He wants you to accept him as your savior. He wants you to trust him with your life and your soul and your eternity. He's with us and never leaves us. Will you bow your heads with me? Before I pray, with with your heads bowed, uh, I just want to give people out there the opportunity to receive Christ into their life. I know next weekend is Easter. Um, in my opinion, I don't do this enough. I need, I need to get better at, at, at allowing people to receive Christ as their Savior, even though it's through online experience. People can still do that. I get it. So with your eyes closed, with, with your head bowed, if you don't know who Jesus is this morning, this weekend, I want you to take the opportunity to pray that prayer. You say, what prayer, Jeremy? You know what? There's actually not a formula. Because Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that's the formula for salvation. We make it so hard. We make it so hard to accept Jesus. The thief on the cross looked at Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't do some long sinner's prayer. I believe Jesus looked into his eyes. He heard the confession with his mouth and he saw in his eyes, he saw the the condition of his heart and his heart was trying to surrender himself to Jesus. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So while I'm talking, you can just repeat these words after me. If not, you can kind of do your own prayer. But if you never accepted Christ as your Savior, you're more than welcome to repeat these, these words after me. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, say, Heavenly Father, today I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of all my wrongdoings. And beginning today, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for another time that we can just trust in you. We can surrender our lives to you, Lord, as we come upon the celebration of what you did for us on the cross and your resurrection 2,000 years ago. Lord, we, we pray that there will be moments this week, Lord, that whether it's our, our time in our journey with Jesus or in our own reflective devotional times, Lord, that you will just speak to us. Father, we'll just draw close to you this week because we know that you are already close to us. We love you, Lord. We give everything to you in Jesus' name. 
Amen, amen. Hey, thank you for tuning in this weekend. Don't forget about our journey with Jesus in the quad, the grassy area of our Turlock campus uh, during the daylight hours from today, the 28th, all the way through uh, Easter Sunday. And you can just come and just uh, spend your own time. There's no rhyme or reason, really, that you have to go by. Just kind of start in the moments that we have uh, the last 24 hours uh, with Jesus. I just want to encourage you to do that. Also, don't forget about your Connect 3 groups. Um, And uh, thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity. Get your prayers in to 30500 if you want us uh, to be praying and believing that God is going to do something amazing in your life. We love you. Can't wait to celebrate next weekend with you. Easter Sunday, if you're part of our Patterson campus, we will see you at 515 Keystone Boulevard at 10 a.m. on Sunday, April the 4th. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.